Father, thank you for the immense privilege we have to come boldly before your throne of grace. Lord, and it is all because of the salvation that you have provided to us in Christ. Lord, what a joy it is to worship our great God, to sing praises, to lift our voices and our hearts high to you. Lord, this is a privilege that the world does not enjoy. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have drawn us to yourself in Christ, that you have called us to yourself, that you have given us salvation through him, and that now we are worshipers who were once transgressors. We praise you. We thank you. We ask now as we look into your word that you will be glorified as we think through the truth that is before us. Fathers, we respond to it and resolve to obey it diligently. Lord, thank you for just the privilege we have to do that now. We commit our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it is a joy to be with you. Uh, This is my first time here at Lance Thompson. It's nice to not have that giant bow hunter behind me. I know that Dusty loved that, and that's different from me. So it's great to be here. You have a great facility. I'm so thankful that the Lord has provided it for you and that you're able to meet back here and begin your adult and children's Sunday school again. It's just such a joy to know that. We're praying for you. We love you guys, and And uh, so thankful for your pastor, one of my close friends, and I'm grateful for the opportunity now just to uh, stand up here in his pulpit and uh, proclaim the word of God. So if you would please turn with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, we'll be looking at verses 3 and 4 in a message that I have entitled, Let's Make War. Jude, beginning in verse 3, the word of God says this, Beloved, While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. On September 11, 2001, at 8.45, on a clear Tuesday morning, an American Airlines Boeing 767, loaded with 20,000 gallons of jet fuel, crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. The impact left a gaping, burning hole near the 80th floor of the 110-story building, instantly killing hundreds of people and trapping hundreds more in higher floors. And as the evacuation of the tower and its twin got underway, television cameras broadcasted live images of what initially appeared to be a freak accident. Then, 18 minutes after the first plane hit, A second Boeing 767, United Airlines Flight 175, appeared out of the sky, 
turned sharply toward the World Trade Center and sliced into the South Tower near the 60th floor. The collision caused a massive explosion that showered burning debris over surrounding buildings and streets below. America was under attack. And every year on September 11th, we take time out of our day to remember with great sadness those events which took place almost 20 years ago here in a few weeks. It is an event that will forever be seared into our minds as we remember the greatest terrorist attack on American soil. We remember exactly where we were that day when we heard about that tragedy. And certainly fear filled our hearts and our minds as, as we began to run fateful scenario after fateful scenario through our brains. Our thoughts immediately turned to our families and our friends with a sincere longing to be with them in that moment. Uh, we grieved for the families whose lives would forever be changed by such an invasive assault on our country. And what a horrible tragedy it was. Certainly, the, the most recited question of that day was, how in the world could something like that happen here in America? How could the security in our country be breached in such a way so as to allow for such an attack of magnitude proportions to occur? The answer by way of a very strategic, subtle, patient process which was fully committed to by the enemy. This attack was not conjured up on, and set into motion on the evening of September 10th, 2001. But rather it was set into motion over a year earlier as 19 militant extremists from Al-Qaeda secretly snuck into our country under false pretenses and began to infiltrate from within. Many of them obtained visas and secured jobs and then suddenly begin to prepare for their assault on that fateful day. And though the events of that day were tragic, incredibly tragic, and, and we will remember them always, I want to submit to you this morning that there is an even greater terrorist attack that is going on in our land and its schemes are being worked out in churches every week. Now, I'm not talking about a physical terrorist attack, but rather a spiritual terrorist attack being orchestrated by spiritual terrorists throughout the church today. I am talking about false teachers who are creeping into churches under false pretenses and slowly beginning to execute their assaults. I am talking about those who claim to be true believers but are really wolves in sheep's clothing. I am talking about those who the Apostle Paul calls out in Galatians 1 as preaching a false gospel and who he says are to be anathema. They are to be accursed. I am talking about those who have influence, who claim Christ with their lips but deny him by their immoral, debased lifestyles. I am talking about those whom Paul warned Timothy about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, when he says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, 
some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. And in his second and final letter to Timothy, he states in chapter 3, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, Revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. I am talking about those whom Jude warns about in our text this morning. False teachers have infiltrated the, the region that Jude is writing to. And throughout the book, their specific teaching is not identified, but their character is. In our text this morning, Jude 3 and 4 is Jude's purpose statement for this letter. And the reason why he is writing to these believers and we will see that what he wants for his readers is to be the very same thing that every faithful shepherd wants for his flock. Beloved, we are in a war. And every faithful shepherd who is worth his salt must respond to his flock as, as Jude does in these verses so that we can make war on all that is false with the truth of the word of God. And so I want you to note this morning in this text two urgent responses of a faithful shepherd to the church who is under attack. Two urgent responses of a faithful shepherd to the church who is under attack. And that first urgent response is this, and it's found in verse 3. It is the faithful shepherd's divine appeal. The faithful shepherd's divine appeal. Look at verse 3 with me and notice first who Jude is going to appeal to. He begins verse 3 with the word beloved. Beloved. He addresses them as beloved. These are those who are the called, loved by the Father and kept in Jesus Christ as he stated in verse 1. Jude is clearly talking to believers, to Christians, to those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so at the outset of this message, I beg you, if you do not know Christ, you must come to Christ. Because this text that we're going to talk about is for those who are in Christ. And if you're here, and you don't know who this Christ is, the Bible tells us that he is indeed the Son of God. That he came to this earth. He took on human flesh. He lived a life of perfection. Never a sinful motive, never a sinful thought, never a sinful action, never a sinful word. With no sin, he lived a perfect life for 33 years on this planet. 
And then he went to the cross and took upon himself all of the sin who, uh, of every person who would ever believe in him. And in his body on the cross, he bore that sin and paid the penalty for that sin so that you and I could have a right relationship with God. So that you and I could be forgiven. So that you and I could be reconciled. So that you and I could one day spend eternity with this God in heaven. Hebrews makes it abundantly clear that today is the day of salvation. And so as as Jude draws our attention to who he is speaking to here in the beginning of this letter, these, these Christians, these believers, these followers of Christ, I implore you today, if you don't know Christ, come to Christ. Submit to him as Lord. The Bible gives us the means by which this takes place. It it is through repentance and faith. It is turning from sin, Satan, the world, ourselves. And it is turning to Christ in faith. It is believing in him, who he is and what he accomplished on the cross. Submitting your life to him. And then you will live a life of following him. And you will be on the narrow path headed to heaven. Those are the ones Jude is talking to. Those are the ones who are the called loved by God the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. And he uses a very endearing term here, indicating that that these are dear saints that he is addressing. This term shows a a deep concern for, for these people. It shows a genuine care. It indicates a close relationship. Even if these folks are unknown personally to the author, Because of the unity that they have in Christ, there is a close-knit bond. And we understand that bond, don't we? We are closely knit because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we are saints of the living God, because the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. And so Jude begins in verse 3 by calling them beloved. The term at the beginning of this letter also indicates that love is, is the fundamental motive of his present ministry to them. Even though as you walk down through the book of Jude, the contents of this letter are fairly unpleasant. One of the greatest ways that a pastor can demonstrate love for his sheep is by warning them concerning all of the frauds and all of the false teaching that is pervading the church. And so as Jude is about to warn them, He wants to remind his readers right out of the gate that he loves them and that he deeply cares for them. These people are loved by God and they are loved by their pastor, Pastor Jude. Well, Jude continues on by explaining to these believers his original reason for wanting to write this letter to them. Look again at verse 3. He says, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, that idea of making an every effort, he was was making a strenuous and and focused effort to to encourage them concerning their common salvation. He, He wanted to build them up in the faith. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted their spirits to be high. He wanted them to bask in the glories of the gospel. The idea of common here is In reference to common salvation, it does not indicate something inferior or less important, but rather this is the truth that is to be known and understood by all true believers. This is our faith. 
that's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that holds the word of God as the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word of God. It is the truth that we all have in common. This is the comprehensive truth concerning salvation. It's, it's blessings of past, it's present blessings, and it's future blessings. And all of the implications that flow from that truth. And, and isn't it good to bask in that truth? I hope you do that on a regular basis. I hope that you are constantly considering our common salvation. And that's what Jude wanted to write to these beloved saints about. He wanted them to rejoice in their salvation. But notice that while Jude was making every effort to write to them about this, he felt the necessity to change his letter to an appeal. He says, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. The word that Jude uses right here that is translated necessity helps us to understand the type of pressure that Jude felt to change his purpose. This is a divine constraint or divine pressure put on Jude to change from what he desired to write to them to what God wanted him to write to them. That is to say that Jude found it of absolute necessity because of the constraint of God to go from writing to them about their common salvation to appealing to them to contend for the faith. There was a need of the hour that had to be addressed. False teachers were, were infiltrating that region that Jude was, was writing to. Their teaching was going to begin to influence true believers and, and cause their lives to go astray, which is what false teaching does. And so God caused Jude in that moment to understand that the, the spiritual terrorists were beginning to carry out their plot amongst the churches in that region, and Jude's command was to sound the alarm. And beloved, this is the very need of our hour as well. False teachers are prevalent today and are seeking every angle that they might gain an advantage and influence the true church today. And no, no church is exempt from, from their attempt to attack. False teaching, such as works-based salvation and, and easy believism. Teaching that says Mary is equivalent with Jesus in divinity and authority. A teaching that gives divine status to a mere man who rides around in what is commonly known as the Pope Mobile. This is false teaching that makes Jesus fit in with the culture rather than worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. Now, this is false teaching that says you can be a believer and live any way you want. Now, this is false teaching that says that Satan and Jesus are brothers. Now, this is false teaching that, Jesus, that says that Jesus was a good man and a prophet but he wasn't God, he wasn't deity. This is false teaching that redefines marriage from the biblical and ordained definition of one man and one woman joined in a covenant relationship with one another for life to you can marry whoever or whatever you want as long as it makes you happy. This is false teaching that elevates the immorality of our culture to something other, to something that is to be sought after and affirmed. 
This is the false teaching that uses Marxist ideology to promote wokeness as the answer to spiritual reconciliation. This is any teaching that twists the word of God out of its original context and manipulates it for a human agenda. Church, the hour is upon us. And the need is real, just as it was in Jude's day. Therefore, Jude says to these beloved, faithful Christians, he says, I divinely appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. This appeal that Jude gives is the answer to standing your ground in the midst of the storm and continuing to grow to be more like Jesus. This appeal to contend for the faith is the only response that will enable you not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that passes by. No human intuition or genius or wisdom or philosophy or effort is capable of of enabling you to weather the storm of false teaching that is pervading the church. Well, the verb used here is translated contend. It means to, to rigorously struggle for. To contend, to rigorously struggle for. The, the, the present tense of this verb indicates that it is to be a continuous contention or struggle for the believer to compete in. He's explaining to us that this is an ongoing contention for the faith, a con- contending for the faith. Uh, there are no days off, uh, there are no vacations. That this is to be the direction of our lives as Christians to contend earnestly for the faith. Its root form is used in 1 Corinthians 9.25, speaking of one who competes in athletics. The idea is that this this struggle is laborious and, and painstaking. It's not easy. It's like the physical contention that happens in a wrestling match. I wrestled once. I was an athlete, believe it or not, as you look at me, I used to be an athlete. I played football, I played baseball, loved it. But unfortunately, I received the nickname as I was playing football by some of my coaches as a China Doll because I got hurt a number of times. So the coaches wanted to toughen me up. And they said, you need to wrestle. Some of the worst words I ever heard in my life. (laughs) I hated everything about wrestling. From the running of the hallways, running up and down the stairs for hours on end, to being in the room that was turned up to 95 degrees because as you wrestled, you needed to get down to a weight that was suitable for you to wrestle in the next match. Going to a restaurant and realizing I can drink a glass of water and that's it. Wrestling was not my thing. But I thought I was a strong guy. I thought, you know, regardless of how I do these things, I can, I can wrestle people. I can get up enough energy, enough gusto to make a couple moves and pin some people. And so one of my first matches, I, I got into the 
ring and this little onesie that they make you wear, which is pretty terrible. <laughs> or onto the mat. I guess there was no ring. Probably should have been a ring. But we got in there, and there I was, this five foot eight fella, a lot thinner and trimmer than I am in this moment, versus this six foot three twig. Let's just put it that way. Very, very thin fella. And I thought, I'm literally going to break this guy into two pieces. And so I get there, you get in your wrestling position, the whistle blows, and within nine seconds, I am laying on my back pleading for death because this guy is pinning me and hurting me in a very bad way. I was one of the fastest pins in state history, I think. It was terrible. There was so much effort that went into wrestling, so much practice, so much strenuous exercise that went into that particular event. Thankfully, in God's kind providence, I got a bout of strep throat that lasted months that enabled me to leave the wrestling mat for good, never going back. Friends, this is not a walk in the park that Jude is talking about here. The Christian life is not some easy stroll that is to be taken lightly and acted upon half-heartedly. See, Christians, we are in a war. We are contending for victory. We are, as athletes, contending for an imperishable crown, Paul tells us. The Christian life was not meant to be your best life now with all of the health, wealth, and prosperity you could possibly want. Living in a world that is hostile toward your master and therefore hostile toward you is not meant to look like the happiest place on earth. Christian, you are in a war. Every day is a battle. Every thought you are to take captive. This is not a spectator sport. You are contending against the false message that is leading the world to hell by holding fast to the divine truth of the scripture and proclaiming that truth by the way that you live and by the words that you say. That is the calling upon your life as a Christian. That is what Jude is appealing here to these dear saints whom he is writing to in his letter. The faith that Jude is referring to here is the body of truth. It is the objective truth that has been handed down from the apostles to the church. It is equivalent to the apostles' teaching. And it is divine revelation. Now as you look at the text, it says that you are to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. That word translated once signifies that this truth is set and it is established. It is not a truth that, that shifts according to the fashion and whim of the day. It is not changed because of fleeting emotion, feelings that come and go. This divine truth known as the Bible, is not up for debate. There is no voting on what we believe and what we don't believe. You don't 
vote on what is true and what is not true. This is the faith. This is that which has been handed down from generation to generation that began with the apostles, which ultimately began with the Holy Spirit, inspiring their writings as the Word of God. This truth that these believers in Jude's day, and you and I and every believer, to ever walk upon this earth is to contend for, to struggle for, to hold fast to, to proclaim, was wrought in the Holy Spirit in eternity past. It was written down and proclaimed by the appointed prophets and apostles, and it is to be accepted and obeyed and proclaimed in its entirety by you and me, and it is to be done so without distraction. It is to be done earnestly, the text says, by giving it our full attention and effort. We contend for this faith. We fight for the truth earnestly with everything that we've got, constantly, continually, every single day. You know what? We have the ability to do so as believers in Christ. Isn't that a joy? Jude's not writing to these people saying, hey, you need to do this, but you're on your own, folks. No, he's writing to people who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, who have the very power of God living in them. And this, this one who is living in them is also enabling them to understand the Scriptures and to apply the scriptures, and to obey the scriptures. And Christian, that's what you and I have here this morning. And so as this faithful shepherd here, Pastor Jude, appeals to us to contend earnestly for the faith, we can do that. We have that ability, never in our own strength, never by pulling up our own bootstraps, but by trusting in the Holy Spirit to empower us as we faithfully obey the scriptures we have been given. This doctrine, this faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints are doctrines such as original sin and total depravity. This is the doctrine of the virgin birth or the complete deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. This is the doctrine of the vicarious substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of the character of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of the lordship of Christ and the saviorhood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. This is the doctrine of repentance and the second coming of Christ. This is the doctrine of regeneration and justification and sanctification and glorification. And those are just a few of the doctrines that we have laid out for us in this breathed out word of God. We are to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and then stand to defend that objective truth through complete obedience and proclamation. And so if you are a believer here this morning, if you have turned from your sin and placed your faith and trust 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are being called to contend for this once for all faith by believing it wholeheartedly, by obeying it diligently, and by proclaiming it faithfully. You are in a war. You don't need to hear that from me. You know that. You walk outside of a gathering such as this where we get to exalt the God that we worship and who has saved us. And you walk into a world of absolute hostility towards this God. There is a war that is upon us. And that war has made its way into the doors of the church. And there are those who are infiltrating it with false doctrine. And so we must contend earnestly for the faith. That is the faithful shepherd's first response, his divine appeal. But secondly, I want you to note the faithful shepherd's direct assault. The faithful shepherd's direct assault. Here in verse four, Jude gives the reason why believers are to contend for the faith marked by that transition word for there at the beginning of the verse. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. False teachers were among them. Spiritual terrorists were being mixed in with the true believers. These men are identified there in verse four as certain men. And these certain men are identified in direct contrast to the beloved of verses 1 and 3. The author is emphasizing that. He talks about the beloved, those whom he's writing to, appealing to, and he's writing to them about these certain men. These are the false teachers whose message is in direct contrast to the faith that's been handed down once for all to the saints there in verse 3. And therefore... Jude says, there is to be a direct assault on the false teacher's false message. We are to pull no punches when dealing with heresy. These men are not identified by name, but their character and their actions clearly indict them. The believers in Jude's day did not know exactly who these men were, but they were beginning to identify their falsehoods. They were beginning to see elements, subtle elements of corruption. True Christians today are to identify ones who pose as those who teach the truth, but by their wicked lifestyle really oppose the truth. Those who are really frauds, imposters, fakes, and charlatans. You see, friends, a pastor is not to stand by and allow false teachers to influence the church. His response is to cast an all-out assault on them with the truth. One of the main responsibilities of an elder or a pastor is to protect the flock in this manner. By wielding off all of that falsehood with the truth of the word of God. And these false teachers here in verse four, are further identified as those who have crept into the church unnoticed. 
The idea is that they have slipped into the church in a sneaky way so as not to be noticed or seen when they came in. On the outside, they look like Christians. And they know all the Christian buzzwords. They are probably very knowledgeable concerning the Scriptures and have convincing arguments. And their differences are subtle at first. However, we know as MacArthur has said over and over again, that time and truth go hand in hand. That the, the true nature of their corrupt hearts will eventually reveal itself. People will always be known by their fruit. That's Matthew 13. Even if it takes some time for that to blossom. This word has become a popular description of particular people in our society, but these men in our text are the true creepers. And so according to the lingo of our day, false teachers should creep us out just like that weirdo in the park who won't stop staring at you the whole time you are there. You see, you are to identify these men and stay far away from them and their message because, friends, they will lead you astray. In his further identification of these creepers, Jude issues a dual assault on them. Notice first that he declares their doom. The next phrase there in in verse 4, he says, Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. These men are those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, Jude says. And the best way to understand the translation marked out long ago is that their condemnation was was written about long ago. Meaning that it was long ago time-wise speaking, like in the Old Testament. The perfect tense of this word translated marked out or written about indicates that it occurred in the past and that it has continuing results now. The prophecy concerning the false teacher's doom was written down by the prophets of the Old Testament and by the apostles of the New Testament. And what was that prophecy? Well, it was that the ultimate result will be their souls being condemned to hell because of their apostasy. That's the condemnation. And it is the responsibility of every faithful pastor to call false teachers who rise up in their churches to the table and to declare to them the end result of rejecting Christ by adhering to their falsehood. We don't like to talk about hell. But friends, for the faithful pastor, and might I say for the faithful Christian, one of the things we must warn people about is the danger and eternity the fires of hell. And those who are leading people astray and those who have submitted their lives to a message that is ulterior to the message that we find in the scriptures need to be called out and need to be told that if that is their life, if that is what they believe, then they are going to go to hell. Satan will have his men strategically located on this planet until Jesus returns and wipes them off the face of the planet in a word. You can be certain of that. 
He is going to time and time again, as subtly as he possibly can, infiltrate churches. We must be ready. Therefore, as his under-shepherds, pastors must not cower in the face of opposition, but they must rise up for the sake of their flock and declare the destruction awaiting men who pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a second assault that Jude issues in his further identification of these false teachers, and it is disclosing their diversion. He discloses their diversion. Look at the next phrase there in verse 4. He calls them ungodly persons. These are people who, who are in complete opposition to God, his character, his laws, his word, and his ways. They are defiant towards God. This is descriptive of their, of their character. This is who they are. But he doesn't, go, he doesn't just stop there. He goes on to describe their ungodliness. He says their ungodliness is disclosed by their diversion, by the diversion from the truth concerning God's grace to a perverted understanding and practice of God's grace. You see that there in the text. Who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. They turned the grace of God into licentiousness. This is the grace that has been lavished upon sinful men by holy God for the purpose of granting them forgiveness and also to conform them to the image of his Son in holiness. And this wonderful, unmeasured, lavishing grace is not to be taken lightly and it's not to be trampled upon, as Paul tells us in in Romans chapter 6. He says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. This is the strongest language in the New Testament for terms of saying no to something. By no means, he says. But this is exactly what these people were doing. They were claiming that God's grace gives them the freedom to live however they want, to fulfill every desire of their flesh and yet still get to heaven. They were using God's grace as a license to sin. Friends, do we ever do this? Do we ever act like these men in this way? Have you ever had the thought, well, I'm already going to heaven. That can't be taken away from me, so I might as well indulge the flesh in whatever, you name it. Whatever pet sin there is there. See, because of our flesh, there are times that it can be easy to manipulate the precious grace of God, to use it as we please. Friends, this must not be. This should never characterize us. You see in this very clear text that Jude is calling out these men who were false teachers, who were perverting the grace of God and saying they were characterized by that reality. They took God's grace and turned it on its its head and manipulated it to fulfill their own desires. That cannot characterize us. We must fight, as Colossians 3 3 says, we must put to death that flesh that remains, that which is earthly in us that remains, and we must do it daily, moment by moment. This can never characterize us. 
We must treasure grace and understand that God shed his grace upon us through Christ for the purpose of not giving us the ability to sin and get into heaven, but he showered his grace upon us through Christ for the purpose of making us holy like Christ. Don't pervert it. Don't distort it. Be ever mindful of it. You see, the, the idea of licentiousness here in our text is unrestrained immorality and vice. Sensuality, it's, it's driven by unredeemed passions. It, it categorizes anything you could possibly imagine that your, your desires want you to be involved in as an unredeemed person. This is the indulging of fleshly desires. And they did these things under the title of God's grace. Their perverted understanding proved them to be unregenerate. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're identifying with what I'm saying right now, that your life is characterized by turning grace on its head and using it as a license for licentiousness, then, friend, you very well may not be in Christ. And you need to turn to Christ in repentance and faith that he might save you to be holy like himself. One lexicon defines this term as interpreting divine goodness as an opportunity to ignore God and do what they please. Peter employs this term in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, to describe the shameful homosexual conduct of the sodomites. And certainly this type of thinking is characteristic of our day. The churches are falling prey daily to this legislated morality that is infiltrating our country. And Jude calls those who succumb to this lifestyle false teachers and he condemns them. But not only do they pervert God's grace in their ungodly diversion, but they also deny Christ as Lord and Master. This phrase places the importance on Christ who is both Master and Lord. Their denial is atrocious because of who they are denying. They are denying Christ. They are denying the Sovereign One, the God of this universe. He is the one and only Master who owns everything. As believers, we are subject to one Master. And he calls the shots. Our lives are to be lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ. No other master, including oneself, has any authority above Jesus Christ. But these men divert from the truth by denying him as this. One day they will embrace him. Not in a willing way, but they will embrace him as Lord. As every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the idea here is that this is a continual denial of Christ as Lord, primarily by lifestyle, but also through speech. This is who they are. They live characteristically as those who deny Christ as Master and Lord. And how sad it is that this is happening in churches all over our world. However, it is inevitable, and pastors must issue the assault. 
I know this probably wasn't the most encouraging message you've ever heard in your life. But as we wind down here this morning, let me give you some encouragement. You, as a part of North Lake Bible Church, are sitting under a godly leadership who is doing this. They are calling that which is false, false. They are condemning heresy. They are doing everything they can by the help of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to protect you from this. Be encouraged by that because not all churches have that kind of leadership. A lot of churches have flaky leadership and they're letting these things come in by the way of Christian books, by the way of different kinds of speakers. They don't know who their people are listening to. And all of a sudden, they get a mess on their hands and a division in their church. But you guys have godly leadership who are staying the course and holding these things in a way that causes you to be protected. Second encouragement is this. We win the war. (laughs) We win the war. In fact... Christ has already won the war. Well, we're just waiting for that to totally materialize in the fact that we are glorified and with him forever. But friend, if you're in Christ, one day you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ in all of perfection for all of eternity. And you will be in a place where truth will be uninvaded. There will be no more penetrating the truth by these false teachers and the false ideologies that characterize our world. You're going to be with Christ. That should encourage you greatly. So what do you take with you? Well, on September 11, 2001, after America realized she was under the attack, under attack, President Bush declared war on the enemy who attacked us. In the same way, we must declare war on all that stands in opposition to the truth of the word of God by earnestly contending for the faith, struggling to believe it wholeheartedly, obeying it diligently, and proclaiming it faithfully. May that be what characterizes us individually, and may that be what characterizes us as churches corporately. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this warning. Thank you that Jude didn't beat around any bushes, and even his As he continues down through this letter, he just unpacks the the picture of the lives and the character of these false teachers and continues to warn these faithful people who he was writing to that this is what's always going to be as long as we're on this corrupted planet. And so, Father, may we faithfully pursue Christ May we faithfully depend upon the Holy Spirit. May we faithfully understand and believe the word of God so that we might contend earnestly for the faith. And Father, may the leadership of this church continue to sound the alarm as necessary and to direct the assault as need be so that this place continues to be a light in a dark world, shining bright for the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.